Well, <laughs> then Miriam prayed that uh, this morning in the prayer meeting and just felt something on it. Um, thank you so much. Um, I hope I can preach through this morning without crying. Gerd <laughs> uh, wants me to cry the whole time, so um, I want you to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, it is just such a privilege this morning to share. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I do appreciate it. To be able to share with you this morning. And um, I do believe this is something on the Lord's heart. We've been busy the, the past two weeks preaching into uh, a couple of different things. Two weeks ago, some of you would remember Kevin preaching into the gospel and what the gospel is. And he looked at some of the, you know, the, the not real gospels. Um, and, and some of the Gospels that we believe and that we go to and, and how the real Gospel looked like. Last week we spoke about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that the gifts are for today. As a body, each one of us, um, the, Holy Spirit, the Father wants to give us His Spirit and release gifts through us so that as a body together we can function. And this morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with it from an angle. And I want to I start off by telling you of a dream that I had when I, I was, was probably 2013, 2014. Uh, I, 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 I'm actually, I dreaded the day where I would ever stand here and say it was a long time ago. And it feels like a long time ago. Um, but um, I had this dream and in this dream I went to this house in the middle of nowhere. And as I walked through this door into this house, there was a living room set up, but there were many doors um, around this living room within this house. And as I went to the first door, I knocked, I opened up the house, and here I encountered a person sitting on a couch and watching a TV screen. And I tried to get the attention of this person. I said, hello, I'm here, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I tried everything, and I could not get the attention of this person. He was fixed on that screen. It's almost like he was numb to any call from my side or any effort from my side to try and wake him up. And so I went to the second room and I encountered the same scene. I went to the third room and I encountered the same scene. I went to the fourth room and encountered the same scene. Went through a couple of doors and that is exactly the same scene. Different people, women, um, men, children, whatever, like different walks of life in these different rooms. And I remember in a moment, I just knew this is wrong. This is wrong. They're so numb. They're not hearing what's going on. And at that moment, I picked up my guitar. I went to the middle of the living room. I started just worshiping and, you know, how I would usually do it on my own. And as I worshiped, I saw these doors opening up and these people walking into this living room and worshiping the Lord. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of this dream. And the, and, and the emphasis is not me playing guitar. The, the emphasis is, and someone um, prayed it also this morning at the prayer meeting, but when He is lifted up, He draws all men to Himself. The very key to be awakened, to be one of those that are burning for Him, to be alive, is Jesus. He is the key to it. You want freedom? Jesus. He's the key to it. You want more of Him? Jesus. He's the key to it. You want to break through, um, free from sin? Jesus. 
He is the key to it. I would never forget this story, and this is not in my notes. I just feel to, to share this. But um, some of you would know there's an elder in Nepal, uh, Josh Jane, his name is Fritz. He was uh, oh, uh, ex, oh, not an ex rugby, uh, Springbok rugby player, but he was a Springbok rugby player in uh, 1994, 5, 6 there. Um, and he is an elder there. And we got him in. We, uh, I worked at a public school for six years, and we had this session with a lot of boys. And we thought, let, let's get Fritz in to come and share his testimony. He's a rugby man. It was a very sports-centered school. So he, you know, he came, he gave his testimony, and we opened it up for questions and answers. And this one boy put up his hand in the crowd, and he asked Fritz this question. I have this friend, he said. We all knew at that moment he was speaking about himself. He said, I have this friend, and he struggles with smoking. He really struggles. He just, he cannot stop. What would your advice be to this boy that struggles, my friend that struggles with smoking? You could hear everyone giggling around him also because everyone knew. And you know, there's obviously many things, and I just want to say, obviously from a, from a, a, a pastoral perspective, yes, um, this is not the, the answer on its own. There's many aspects to it. But I would n- never forget the answer Fritz gave in that moment almost felt like a revelation to me. It it felt so profound to me when he said it. There was silence for a couple of seconds, and then Fritz said, you find something better. I thought to myself, oh, wow. He said, you need a bigger yes than what you're busy with. And that bigger yes is found in Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus. Obviously, guys, You need a revelation of sin and the effect of sin. And we need to repent and all these things. But in the end, that's not just out of, we're not repenting just out of something. We're repenting into Him. It's Him. Lord, and I pray this morning that You are the truth. You are the way and You are the life. Be revealed to every heart in this place, Lord. More than a preach or or whatever we can do out of our own efforts, may you be revealed. May you be lifted high and may you draw all men to you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you come and do that this morning? Amen. Amen. Are you all still with me? Nice, 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 nice. I asked Emma this morning, what do you think Jesus wants to do this morning? I just asked her. It's a question that I try and throw out to our kids. Although they're very small and they lack understanding, I just want to get them in the culture of this and Jesus can speak. And I ask her, what do you think Jesus wants to do this morning? And she looks at me and says, Jesus says, I love you. So, Karat, she's in agreement with what you said this morning. Amen. Um, So we, I I actually want to speak about worship this morning. I want to connect to that dream. You see, the core, when it comes to worship, and I'm not just speaking about singing on stage, although it's part of it. It's a very big part of it. But most of you know, when I speak about worship, I'm speaking about your day-to-day life. Um, Laying yourself down in obedience to Him. Carrying your cross following Jesus, choosing Him in every situation, at work, in your family, in your marriage. That is the lifestyle of worship. But to the core of worship, if you need a, a, a quick definition of what worship is, and we just answered it, worship is this, it's all about Him. 
And when we say the truth, it sounds too simple. I'm sure all of you would say, amen, true, let it be, that is true. But do you know there's a war over this truth? There's a war over this truth. And this war plays out not just outside, you know, and other places. It plays off in our hearts every day. Every day. It does. All of us are faced with those decisions. Do I choose him or do I not choose him? Do I want him or do I not want him? And every day, this opportunity is presented to us to lay ourselves down and worship him. Every day. It's interesting. We live in a worship culture and even a church culture that almost shouts the opposite to that. I'm going to use an example. The other day, I saw a new worship album coming out. The album's name is All For His Glory. And there's a photo of the artist in a white suit in front, smiling. All for his glory. You know? And if you look at that, it almost is the opposite as the title of the album. You know, I say it's all about him, but you can, you can see this is about the artist. This is about that worship guy. It's about his moment of fame on the front of that cover. And we live in a culture that, that loves giving lip service, but the reality if you had to cut our lives through, it's almost like, listen, God, you can bless me. You can bless my family. You can do all these things, and then I will follow you. You can be part of my life. You can p- be part of my way of doing things. Almost like we're saying, Jesus, you can follow me. That's part of our culture. And I'm sorry to say it's even within our culture. It is. So there's this war going on. Someone unknown said, (laughs) he said, where God is at the center of things, worship follows. Where there's no spirit of worship, there God has been dethroned and displaced. When God is the focus, worship will automatically flow. When we take him away out of that focus or off the throne where he needs to be, there will be no spirit of worship in our midst. You see, you were made as you sit here to be fascinated. Your heart was made to be fascinated. Do you know that? We as humans, we are fascinated. We are. Our hearts are looking. Our hearts are searching. Our hearts are desiring. But you have the capacity in you to be fascinated. Amen? So just me. Okay. <laughs> but you have that capacity in you. You have. But the problem is this world is presenting us with so many different things, so many different distractions, so many different lovers, that before we find it, our hearts, our desire, and our actions have drifted to this place. And we have missed the very one that it's all about. I want to take you to Psalm 29, verse 1 to 2. And you can read with me. David is writing and he's making this profound statement. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I haven't found many worship songs with that word ascribe in it. And do you know what ascribe means? You know what that actually means? It basically says that When I get to know you, or when I see who you are, I cannot but help to give you worship. So he's not saying, listen, (sighs) yeah, (sighs) 
little bit of worship. Tingling, go on. He's saying, ascribe to him. It's quite a, quite a forceful word. As, as I think of the Lord's goodness, if, when I see his mercy, when I see that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, when I behold him, the resurrected one, the one that's alive, I cannot but ascribe to him all glory, honor, and strength. So this morning, as you can see, I, as that quote said, if he is the center, worship will flow. Worship is the outflow of a revelation of Jesus. It's the outflow of a revelation of Jesus. I love how I.W. Tozer said it. He said, if you do not know much about him, you do not know much about worship. <laughs> That's just saying it as it is. If you do not know much about him, you do not know much about worship. You see, you and I praise what we prize. We praise what we prize. That which is precious to you, that is what will have your heart, your mind, and your attention, and the fascination of your heart. So this is where I want to get to. The war at the moment is the enemy is trying to distort our picture of Jesus that will affect the way that we approach him and will affect the way that we worship him. Your understanding of something will affect the way that you will approach something. It does. I'm going to use a silly example. Two years ago, I started doing something. You, I call it self-afflicting self suffering. I call it jogging. And that's the other word for it, okay? And in uh, 2016, I broke my back, uh, my lower back. I had a, a, to get a, a lower back um, fusion. And um, they basically told me, you will never jog again. Awesome. Did a lot of core exercises, you know, um, whatever. Um, lockdown gave a lot of opportunity for that. And um, got to a place where I started actually jogging and I had no pain. And then I just started increase my mileage a little bit by little bit by, by little bit. But I mean, I have no idea how this works. I'm literally, jogging means this to me. Put on your shoes and run until you're tired and stop. Okay, that was literally my definition. For some of you, that's 200 meters. For others, it is 10 k's, okay? But that was my definition of jogging. And I had a friend that came to me and said, Skulk, listen, I think we need to write in for this half marathon. It's in Sirius, and everyone says it's very easy. When he said very easy, something in me was like, I don't believe you, but I also know my friend can't jog. So if he doesn't make it, I must probably also make it, and then we both don't make it together. Okay, so that was my, my thought pattern. Anyways, we go. We, um, you, you need to be there early morning in Sirius. We're standing there, and you need to register. And I'm standing in the queue with my friend, and I, I hear the conversation in front of me, and I hear some. he looks like a serious jogger in front of me, you know? The Asics shoes and everything, spendix, everything, you know? And um, I don't know what you call it. What do you call it? I don't know. But anyways, I hear the whisper in front of me. Yo, no, you can't run this one if you didn't exercise. And, you can, and I, they already, I'm like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. And I ask him, are you sure this is easy? Yo, everyone told me this is the easiest one. I'm like, okay. And 
behind me. I hear someone make a comment again. No, no, you can't do this one. For your first one, this one you can't somewhat do. You You need to run a couple before you do this one. And there's something in me new. Something is wrong. Okay. But anyways, the race starts and we start running. And if you notice here as well, there's literally a, um, an a, a, a Afrikaans, a pass, in English, a pass. Yeah? Literally. So... You run up the pass, and then it's downhill. And I thought to myself, yo, this is so easy. And I run. My fastest 10, 11 Ks that I've ever run in my life. I thought to myself, yo, half marathons are so easy. But towards the end, I thought to myself, where do we end? Because we're running away from the start place. How are we getting back? Is there a bus that will take us on the other end? And as we get there, there's literally this red balkan on the ground and then you need to run around it and I say you need to run back to the start 11 k's uphill and afterwards I was in so many spasms that I didn't even use for running but I realized afterwards that my approach to running was determined by my understanding of how to run I had to do a little bit of research after that before I did my uh, next half marathon. I realized, listen, there, there, there's a way to do this, okay? You need to increase your mileage. Your nutrition is important. My understanding grew about running, and so my approach also changed. It's a silly example. But do you understand that you and I are in need of a revelation of Jesus, not just any picture, but an accurate picture that is determined by Scripture and what He says, who He is, and our approach, I'm telling you, the outflow would be worship. Worship. We're reading through the book of John. And last year, I literally sat in John 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 for three months. It was a life-changing three months for me when it comes to Scripture. I fell in love with Him just by reading those five chapters. I studied it. I, I meditated on it. And there was just a love in me for Him. The enemy wants to distort our picture of God. And that will change the way that you approach Him. And ultimately, what you were actually made for, to worship Him. Now, this is not just something I'm zealous about. I actually want to go and look in Scripture. I want to show you the Father is zealous for this. John 2, verse 13 to 22. Most of you, it's so nice to not actually preach out of John, because I know most of you must probably read it. It's awesome. But I'm going to quickly touch on a story that Ryan Kingsley actually touched on. And you can read with me the Passover, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the tables with the sheep and the oxen. I would love to see them. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he hauled those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, 
It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And, and will you raise it up in these days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now I want to give you a quick context, actually, what's happening here. You see people selling doves and animals for sacrifices. Now from the outside, this actually looked like a very noble thing. Because there were people coming from far for the Passover festival. Obviously, they didn't bring doves with them and other animals with them to sacrifice. So they needed a place where they could go and buy something to bring and actually worship God in his temple. So these merchants were selling sacrifices. That's basically what they did. And then part of what they did is the Jewish culture believed that if you had a coin with, with the, the Roman, let's say the, the Caesar on it or whatever, that was idolatry. So in that time, you had to pay a temple tax. You couldn't pay that temple tax with, um, with uh, coins with other faces on. So people usually came there and they had to exchange money with the merchants so that they could get the right money so that they can pay their temple tax. Now the problem there is these merchants put a, a little bit of uh, profits on the money-changing process. And from there, the Pharisees and the scribes also took a little bit of a cut of that profit so that they also can be enriched. Now, here's the interesting thing. All of this activity happened in the outer courts of the temple. And the outer courts of the temple was reserved for Gentiles to come and worship. So basically, when you see Jesus throwing over tables and chasing them out it wasn't just a, a moment of ah, you know yes he identified that they are in it for the money definitely he did but did you know what that whole thing did it stopped the gentiles to come and worship god it hindered worship and the, here jesus comes and he takes everything away that hinders worship he chases them out. Why? Because that whole I agenda, this is about my prophet, whatever it is, he chases out of those out of outer courts. Why? Because it hindered worship. It hindered worship. You see, you see two agendas playing off here. The Pharisees that actually came and asked him, give us a sign. You, you can see another version in Mark 11, verse 15 to 19. It actually said after Jesus um, chased out the, the, all, the, you know, all the pigeons and the people and the merchants, he made the statement. He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for the Gentiles also, not just for the Jews. And then he said, it's interesting, the, the response of the chief priests was that they was, was seeking a way to destroy Jesus. They were so angry at Jesus. You just ruined my business. You just took away my profits. What are you doing? You see, the I agenda came into this sacred place of worship. And it's not just me that's zealous about this. I believe, every, or it is true, John 5, you can go and read. But everything Jesus did revealed the heart of the Father. When he turned over a table, it revealed the heart of the Father. When it says, the, your, the zeal for your house consumes me, it revealed the exact same thing, that that is how the Father feels. What am I saying? He's zealous for us to be 
temples where pure worship flows out of He wants us to be a place that ultimately brings glory to Him, that there's nothing in us that hinders worship. Nothing in us that hinders worship, that the eye would not step up and say, hey, I'm important. It's all about me. Oh, He is zealous to see, to see places of worship that is pure. You see, um, John 2 refers Jesus saying, you know, I am the temple. John 4, he has this conversation with a Samaritan woman, and he actually says to this woman, there will come a time where you're not going to go to the temple to worship anymore. That time is going to pass. We're going to come to Jesus when we worship. But the beautiful truth is in Ephesians 2, verse 21 to 22, it says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It says, although Jesus is the temple, you and I are little temples that together are built into him. So yes, he's zealous for the worship of your heart, but he's zealous for the worship of this body. He's zealous for pure worship to come from us. And that's the worship that flows from the enthronement of Jesus. That He must be the center of everything. The seed comes in when that which was created try and be like the Creator. The seed comes in when the I and my needs and my agenda and what I want rises up and trying to become equal with who God is. Do you know that? It's a dangerous place to be. It's such a dangerous place for us to be. And I quickly want to show you something in uh, Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. I'm going to be quick here. Most of you know the story of Adam and Eve, hopefully. <laughs> and Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve in his own image. You can see there in Scripture yourself, let us make man in our own image. There was something of Adam and Eve when they were created by God that they represented God ultimately giving Him all the glory. There was no sin at this moment when they were created. There was complete unity with God. Sin brought separation. But there was no separation in this moment when they were created. They were completely dependent on God. That which was created by the Creator stayed in the place of being created. Okay, they were dependent. They were completely dependent. You can go on to verse um, 28 uh, and 29. You will see, it's so interesting, if you read in 29, God actually says to Adam and then, Behold, I have given. Um, verse 30, again, you see that phrase, I have given. You see the Father saying, I have given you the animals. I have given you the plants. I have given. There's dependence from Adam and Eve on Him. The depth of your worship correlates 100% to the depth of your dependence on Him. Either is everything or He is not. Either is everything or He is not. But then there came a moment when this dependence was disturbed. And most of you know this. And I quickly just want to read this. Are you still with me? Genesis 3, verse 3 to 30. Genesis 3, verse 3 to 30. Now the serpent deslung was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the women, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, he took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who, said, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they became fashion designers and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I read from the message that last part, the fashion designers. Um, but if you look at the definition of crafty, the serpent was crafty. It said he came with an angle. He came with a little bit of truth, and then he twisted that truth. It's interesting that Eve said, but this is what God said. And then what did the enemy do? He came and he twisted the will of God. He said, for God knows. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You almost make it sound like, but maybe God does want this for At that moment, when Eve listened to the enemy, pride entered the ear of Adam and Eve. And it says that they saw the fruit, they took delight in it, and then they desired it. And they wanted to become like God. You see, the eye, that which was created, suddenly wanted to stand up and say, I am also important. They tried to make themselves equal to God. All deceit is born from that. We cannot be a people that can afford to stand up and say, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I am also important. Yes, God loves us and we are special. Okay, I do. Like, there is truth in that. He does love us. I believe it. Okay, Emma also said it this morning. He, God loves all of us. But there is a posture that God is calling us to, and it's the posture of dependence, and it's from that place that worship flows. There can be no worship in the posture of pride. There's no worship in the posture of pride. Pride says, I know best. Pride says, I'm not open for accountability. Pride says, you know, I, I'm not going to do this, although your word says I need to do this. Pride is all about your needs. All about your needs. Andrew Murray, he actually said, he said this thing. He said, pride is the root of every sin and evil. It's interesting that in the garden there were two trees. The one was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And the other tree was the tree of life. And we believe this tree of life represents, that was the tree that they were actually invited to come and eat of. It was open. They could partake of that tree. And there's this picture of humility in Jesus. And then there's this tree of good and evil. God actually told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. Don't partake of this tree. And I've asked this question, why the two options? Why didn't he just take away that tree, you know? Yeti Vatleman, close die. I always wondered, just a side note, how does the fruit look from that tree? Because we never, we assume it's apples, but I actually wondered, you know, maybe it is a kiwi or a 
watermelon or something. Oh, a watermelon doesn't grow in a tree. Sorry. A lemon. <laughs> Whatever. Sierfrucht. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, there's this choice, like these two trees. Love is significant in the midst of many options. God gave Adam and Eve that choice because every day they could choose, I'm going to partake of this tree of life because I love you. I love you. And every day you are faced with these two trees in your life. Am I going to partake of the flesh or am I going to partake of Jesus? I'm gonna, am I going to stand up and say my needs are important, I am important, or I'm going to come and humble myself before Him and say, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. I want to take you to Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. And this is one of the most profound portions of Scripture within Scripture. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Andrew did the, the teaching about slave. That word servant actually means slave. In nature of a slave being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the creator, he's God, the creator of all things. Do you know that Jesus came to this earth as a baby? Now, every time, oh, well, and we, we have two children, but I remember every time when I held him that first six months in the neck, he's with pup. You know, if you leave it, it's almost kit every, any richting. I think to myself, Jesus looked like this. He looked like this. He came like a pup of barbecue. He came into this world. He that was God humbled himself, became man. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he, we couldn't, we stepped out of that place of dependence when Adam and Eve sinned. The dependence was disturbed, but Jesus came and he lived completely dependent on the Father. He could have any time go and say, no, Father, I don't want to die on that cross. Yo, Mr. Ad, I'm not going to do that. But it says that he emptied himself and he obeyed he, he be, by becoming obedient to death jesus lived the perfect dependent life perfect dependent life and i love someone once said he said jesus humility is our salvation jesus that humbled himself that became man died on that cross that gives salvation to each one of us and then it goes on and it says but his salvation is our humility now that he died on that cross, you and I can step back into that place of dependence. We can step back into that place of humility. We can come back to this place because of his grace and his mercy. We can come back and his blood washes over us. And hopefully as we, we um, walk with him, the eye gets dismantled out of us, taken out of us little by little by little by little. He was dependent, so you and I can be dependent on God. John the Baptist at this cry said, all of you know it. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. Oh, man. So practically, how does this work? Here's the thing. And this is why I said, sometimes this thing creeps into us without us knowing it. 
I, I want to connect with the Gospels that, that Kevin spoke about. Look at the prosperity gospel. It's all about my wealth and my money. What happened there? The my wealth rose up, equal important to who God is. You want to give me wealth. The kingdom now theology, that's all about my health. You know? Again, my needs rises up and becomes so important. More important than what he is. Hyper grace. Hyper grace. So I can do anything. God will forgive me. I can do anything. Again, I. The emphasis. Practically in worship, we often see this. Just think about it. Let's think about the worship setting here, even here in this room. We often worship, but we put conditions on our worship. I love worshiping God, but not if that song plays. If that song plays, I'm not going to worship. I don't like that song. Oh, I don't like that worship leader. He sounds like a, a child. I don't know. Personality. I'm not going to lift up my hands because that's not who I am. Although in the Psalms is clear that we lift up our hands. Psalm 27 speaks about giving a shout of joy. And it actually says it's a sacrifice. It will cost you something to give a shout of joy. We often put the condition, you know, my personality doesn't allow me to do this. Well, who is Jesus and isn't he worthy of a life poured out? Even place. You know, when I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the midst of people, I'm not going to be ex expressive because I believe religion is a personal thing. You know, I'm going to go home and that's where I'm going to worship God. Isn't it interesting, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Many people use that scripture to say, you know, it's a personal thing, my body, you know. And it's true, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But if you read that in the original language, it's written in two ways. It's written in Texan, American, and very bad Afrikaans. And I'm going to explain it to you. It says, actually, your body... Don't you know, that's how the scripture says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That you is actually written in plural. So he's speaking to a church body and saying, all of you together, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Afrikaans, bad Afrikaans, don't you know you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's, that is use, okay? That is if you see yourself as a saint. You're called to be part of a body. It's how God does things. And when we come together in worship, it's not about my need. It's about us together with one voice glorifying Him. No matter where you are in this room, together we sing. Together we praise Him. Together we love Him. Together we adore Him. Now I want to take you. I'm almost done. You're all still with me. Kevin, you can jump in and throw this table. It's just let me take my laptop off before you throw. Um, <laughs> if I'm speaking lines here. But Job, uh, Job, Job, sorry, that's bad Afrikaans, Job. Job 1 verse 20 to 21. Speak about conditions and worship. Look here. Most of you know the life of Job. God took away everything. This is, for me, one of the most challenging scriptures in scripture. At this point, Job got up. Oh, Job. Job. Yes. 
Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. That is also challenging. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped. After everything was taken away. After everything was taken away, his response was, I will worship. Nothing will hinder worship. And there's some of you, I know, that sits here with sickness. There's some of you sitting here without a job. There's some of you sitting here and you're just in a bad position with your marriage or even with your kids or financially. Or whatever it is, these things we bring to the Lord. We don't run away from it and, and just, you know, tolerate it. And like, that's my, oh, my marriage is always going to be. And this is how, how these things can be. We bring it before Him. We walk it out in accountability. But it must not stop us from worshiping. It mustn't. The contrary, if you sit with sickness here, I've seen God healed. I, I, I saw Him healing many people, many things. I've seen legs grow. I've seen many things in the past, okay? I've seen a, a skill work for Drachspring. Like I can mention testimony after testimony. I do believe God heals. But I also do believe if you're sitting with sickness and you're not seeing healing, that that's an opportunity for you to bless Him. Because each one of us has the opportunity to give a gift to Him that myself, Kevin, not one of the elders can do in your place. Only you can give that gift to Him. I cannot do it for you. I cannot. And I want to end off with a portion of Scripture. And then um, tell one story and then we're going to respond. Matthew 21, verse 12 to 17. It's exactly the same Scripture I read now and it's from the book of Matthew. But there is a difference here. <laughs> read quickly with me from verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Hear this, verse 15. I've never seen this until the other day. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. That is so interesting. I've never seen that, that in this account of the same story, in the end, we have this picture of the kids coming into the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. What is significant of that phrase? They're basically saying, these kids, eh? in front of the, the feared Pharisees and, and priests in that time, they were very good at honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God, okay? They didn't have a fear of the Lord, these chief priests. And they see these kids, after these people were chased out, coming into the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Basically saying, you are the one that was promised. That made those chief priests indignant, angry, very angry. That's basically what that word means. Very angry. Why? Because these kids, I love children, represents to me the posture of humility going low. 
And in, in, the, in the face of these Pharisees that live their lives according to the eye, they come and they acknowledge who Jesus is. That is what the temple was made for. That is what you and I were made for. The story we read now of Jesus chasing just everyone out, that shows us what must not be in the temple. This in Matthew shows us what must be in the temple. The praises coming from a humble heart. From the children, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and it, this story made me think, and I'm going to end with this. Greg, you can maybe come up. This story made me think of a story of a move of God in um, America called Azusa. And Azusa happened in the early 1900s. was led by a guy called William Seymour. And William Seymour exactly saw more of God. <laughs> Seymour. Um, <coughs> he saw more of God. But William Seymour was, and in that time there was still segregation of different cultures. And they started gathering as a group and they prayed together and the presence of God just broke out in the midst of that group. That movement in the midst of uh, almost like an apartheid-style government with those type of laws, that movement brought different cultures together. Everyone came. It's almost like everyone was equal in that room when they looked to God. But what is significant, uh, uh, many years ago, I read a book called The Stories of Azusa. And in this story, they speak with some of the old people. And there's one story that, it, I mean, it just hit me. They said at the beginning of this movement, William Seymour did something interesting. He felt God said, when you go into a move in, in this room, put a box over your head. So he stood in that room and he put a box over his head. It's quite humiliating. Can you imagine Kevin comes in here with a box over his head? <laughs> Maybe next week. Uh, <laughs> but he comes and he puts this bag over his head. They say it was a shoe box, so I'm not sure if it was a bag or a box. And he stands there and literally left that box or bag on his head until God said, take it all. Take it all. And usually that was through worship, through prayer. He just stood there. And then the moment will come where God just releases him and he, and he shares. And I mean, the powerful stuff happened there. There was known for creative miracles and all these things. But the one thing that this lady said, that was, if you looked at what happened there, it was marked by humility before the Lord. Humility before the Lord. But then something started to happen. In that city, people started criticizing William Seymour. They started laughing at him. He became aware of it. And one day he walked into that room and everyone noticed. He stopped putting the box over his head. He just stood there, normal. And then as they, they came together every day, Day and day and day passed on. It's almost like the presence of God withdrew from that place. Little by little by little. Little by little. Until that whole thing just dismantled. Now, obviously, there's many reasons was probably for that. But when I read that story, I just realized. May you and I never come to a place, figuratively speaking, where we take the bag of our head. There's a war for your worship and for your heart. There is. And you and I are called to go low, be humble and dependent on Him and stay in that place 
and ask the Lord that He would reveal Himself to us and be enthroned in the midst of us, in our hearts, but also in the midst of this body. So I want you to quickly stand up and just close your eyes. Just close your eyes for you. Jesus, we just take a moment. And we do what we spoke about now. We give you all the glory. Can you lift up your hands with me and just say, Lord, we give you all the glory. That word glory has many different meanings, but it speaks about awakeness. Some people actually says, it, it almost summarizes the beauty and all the characteristics of God. So when we say we give you glory, we say we agree with everything you say you are. So we come and we say we give you glory. Be a throne in our midst, Jesus. Be a throne in our midst, Lord. We lift you high up, Lord. May there be nothing in us then that comes and hinder worship. God, may there be, may there be no excuse in us. May you find no excuse in us, Jesus. But you are worthy of all the worship, Jesus. The angels cry out day and night that you are worthy and holy, Lord. And we know that we have the privilege to choose you on this earth. One day we're going to be before you. We're not going to have that choice. But this morning, we choose to glorify you, Lord. We choose to love you, Jesus. 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 Gold and silver and gold, how we love you so. More than anything in this world. Just sing that. Gold and silver and gold. How we love you so. More than anything in this world. Just sing that again. Gold and silver and gold. How we love you so, more than anything in this world. One more time. And more than silver and gold, how we love you so, more than anything in this world. And let me love you. All my heart and all my mind and all my strength, and let me love you with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength. Just sing that out and let me. All my heart and all my mind and all my strength 
Let 
we usually say sing your own song to him and then you have three or four voices coming out but it's all of us together whether you can sing or not I know for some of us there's a fear of man and for others it's easy just to sing your own song but 87 times you read a song sing a new song to the Lord 87 times and it's not written as a suggestion it's written almost like a commandment so even as we look at you Jesus I pray, maybe just break through that fear as a body. And we just want to release our song. It doesn't matter how it sounds. It pleases your heart, Father. It pleases you. It pleases you. Just lift your voice where you are. Just lift it. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Just bless him. Bless him. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. 